Blessed be the name of the Lord. Almighty God, we thank you, Lord, for this day. We thank you, Lord, for this time to worship you together with the family of God. We thank you, Lord. You've given us a short word, sure word, Lord, a prophecy, a sure word, a certain word to prosper your people. You're the God who gives strength to your people. You empower us, Lord, to receive from you what we need and to do great exploits in your name, O Lord. We thank you, Lord, for raising us up to do the things that you have ordained us to do. We thank you, Lord, that your God who imparts faith, imparts grace continually to all those who look to you, Lord, trusting that you will do what you say. Thank you, Lord. We thank you for the strength of your word, the strength of your promise. Thank you, Lord. We praise you, Lord. You are God over all flesh. You are the God who has said to us, as you did to Israel and Judah, long ago, is there anything too hard for the Lord? Nothing is too hard for you, Lord. Hallelujah. Glorious Father, I pray that you strengthen each and every one, Lord, who has come expectantly looking to the Heavenly Father. Thank you, Lord. You sustain us by your grace. It gives us power. Thank you for opening our minds up and our hearts up and our bodies, Lord, to receive all that we need from you, Lord. We need your presence. We need you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. We praise you, Lord. We praise you. We praise you. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen. I will enter his gates with thanksgiving in my heart. I will enter his courts with praise. I will say this is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice for he has made me glad. He has made me glad. He has made me glad. Will rejoice for he has made me glad. The Lord has made me glad. He has made me glad. I will rejoice, for he has made me glad. Hallelujah, wherever you are. Let's sing this as we enter into God's presence. I will enter his gate with thanksgiving in my heart. I will enter his courts with praise. I will say this is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice, for he has made me glad. He has made me glad. He has made me glad. 
I will rejoice, for he has made me glad. He has made me glad. The Lord has made me glad. Yes, I will rejoice, for he has made me glad. Oh, I will rejoice, for you have made me glad. Father, I will rejoice, for you have made me glad. Hallelujah. God lifts us up. He's the one who can take away take away our pain. He can take away our sorrow. He can take away our worry. He's able to do it because he calls us to step into a supernatural realm. While on earth, while we're in our predicament, we can step into God's atmosphere, his presence. And he brings hope. Hallelujah. He gives hope. And he gives joy and peace. Everything that is found in the kingdom of God belongs to the children of God. While we intercede and we groan with utterances that cannot be communicated humanly. The Bible says in the book of Romans that the Holy Spirit speaks through us, prays through us. Groanings. God shares in our burdens. He shares in the affliction. At the same time, he's almighty God. He's above the affliction. Hallelujah. He's above every burden. That's who he is. And so he can bring us up out of our affliction, out of our burden. By the stripes of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, we have life. We have healing. Hallelujah. God is working in us, in each of us. His great plan to realize the victory that he has for us collectively as the body of Christ all over the globe. There's a victory God has and he has a victory for each and every church which is part of that universal body. Specific victories for different church bodies that are looking to Jesus Christ for his direction, just as he spoke individually, specifically to the seven churches in Revelation. So he speaks to each church today, to those who are willing to listen, those who are truly seeking him. He also speaks to individual families within the local church. And he speaks to you and to me as individual children of God. The communication that God wants to establish in our lives and continue can be shut out and muffled by distractions. Which come to rob us of that vital communion with God that we desperately need to be overcomers, to be walking in victory, in the joy the peace, the righteousness of God. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I'd like you to turn to the book of Romans, in chapter 8, Romans chapter 8. We're going to just read a portion of scripture. 
I'll be reading from the New King James Version. I'm going to begin at verse 1. Let the Holy Spirit speak to you if you're with your family. What the Lord wants to convey to you and your family because God will speak to the individual families and especially the heads of those families, whether it be a man or woman. The spiritual head of the family. And he will speak to the individual members of the family. And he's speaking to our church as well. After mentioning in Romans chapter 7, the inability for people who have an external code of regulations and laws, the inability of individuals to save themselves, Romans chapter 7 ends with, the victory that's in Jesus Christ. I need to ask at this time, is there anyone else who is having any difficulty hearing my voice? Is the tone uh, not right? Somebody texted. Is the voice and the uh, tone okay? Praise the Lord, Pastor. We can hear you fine. Oh, praise God. Thank you. Thank you. Praise God. Must be the reception on uh, their side. Praise God. God wants to speak. Someone has texted again. Jody, is it okay for you or is, is it not okay? Not clear. It's very clear, Pastor. I can hear oh, very well. Thank you for asking. Praise God. Thank you, Jody. Thank you for the input. And God is wanting, wanting us to see the victory that he's given. And so chapter 8 is about the realization of that victory and how to walk in it. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. He left heaven to take us away from condemnation. He came to set the captives free. What good is it if we have been made free, but we don't enjoy the freedom? And in this chapter, the Holy Spirit records, how to enjoy that freedom. We are frail. God is almighty. When his power comes into us, we become transformed. And we need that continual fellowship with him and reception of his power. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. And we know that some versions, they have a footnote there or some kind of indication that the rest of what I read in Romans 8.1 is not there in their version of the best manuscripts. But that's a fallacy. Because this portion 
aligns with the rest of the chapter, the rest of the book of Romans, the epistle to the Romans, and the rest of the New Testament, and the rest of the Bible. So we need to walk in the Spirit if we're going to enjoy the freedom that comes with not being condemned anymore. God gives us freedom. He gives us hope. He gives us victory. We have pressing needs. We have urgent matters. We have sometimes life and death situations. But there is a Savior, there's a friend that will never forsake us, never leave us. We can call upon His name. We can receive His power. We can feel His presence. We can feel the deliverance. In the midst of that, the Lord says, there is no condemnation to those who walk according to the Spirit, not according to the flesh. Our Life Training School, we've looked at that as we are beginning to look at the fruit of the Spirit. We've also looked at the works of the flesh. Galatians chapter 5, in verse 19. And we have uh, some 17 or so works of the flesh mentioned there, depending on the version that you're reading. But at the end of that list, we see there's a mention of and sins like these. So the list can go on. Many, many expressions of the flesh. A complication in the human personality, the human life. But as far as the Holy Spirit, nine manifestations, very simple, beautiful, full, living communion with Christ brings out nine beautiful qualities from the Holy Spirit. If we walk according to that, love, more love, more joy in the Holy Spirit, not the superficial worldly joy, but a deep abiding joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. If we walk according to the Spirit, when the Spirit says to our inner man that you need to walk in the Spirit and not in the flesh, there's no mystery because God has enumerated very specifically what a person looks like and sounds like and thinks like when he or she is walking in the Spirit. They will have the manifestation of the fruit of the Spirit. Walking in the flesh has to do with wrath, envy, adultery, and all of those things. But the Lord who rescued us from this world has given us freedom. And he wants us to enjoy it to the full. One of the biggest problems in humanity is a guilt complex. Something that would keep a person prisoner. Where no matter 
the external smile and the big deals that are made and whatever increase comes, there's a haunted feeling inside that I'm not right. There's a conviction in the conscience. There's a condemnation. But for the believer who is seeking God and pursuing the things of God, God has great love to draw us and he works with us and for us to help us because he loves us. He begins to show us how to be authentic disciples. At the same time, those who are on the path to walking with God are walking in the Spirit and are being taught by the Lord. The enemy, the accuser of the brethren can come and put false condemnation. And We must know the difference between the conviction that comes from God Almighty who comes to chasten his children as necessary so that we can be in the path of righteousness, in the path of life. We need to know the difference between that conviction, the condemnation from Satan that comes and whispers, you will never be pleasing to God. Never, ever. You can never have the confidence that God really loves you. One of the ways in which the enemy tries to drive that lie deep into a person's makeup is when trials come. Even the strongest believers can go through times such as Job went through. Questions can come up because of the pain and of the dark cloud that surrounds them. Will I ever get out of this? Oh God. Doesn't necessarily constitute unbelief. God knows. We are frail. We need him. And God will come and he will reassure us that I am with you. I will bring you out. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. There's no condemnation. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. This cycle of falling into condemnation through sin. God doesn't want that either. He doesn't want a false condemnation and he doesn't want a true condemnation. By that we mean for those who actually are doing things displeasing to God and walking away from the path of life. There's a real condemnation that comes. 
But God says, I don't want you to have that either. God wills that all men should come to repentance, that everybody should be saved. And how much more for the child of God, that God communicates his love. And he takes us by the hand and he brings us out of this dark dungeon of despair and repeat accusation from the devil. He says, come on now. I want to show you what belongs to you in my kingdom. Hallelujah. There's a freedom from the law of sin and death. There's no condemnation. At the end of the chapter, we'll see who can be justified in accusing us. Who is he or where is he that condemns or accuses? The Lord says, no one. There's no one that can condemn you when you're under my care, when you're walking with me. Hallelujah. For what the law could not do and that was weak, it was weak through the flesh. God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. I trust that everyone has the scriptures open so that we can receive what the Lord is giving and understand the great privilege and privileges that God has given us as children of God. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. He came to destroy that body of sin, the totality of the sinful nature. He condemned sin in the flesh. He came as a human being to take back what was lost in paradise, in the Garden of Eden. They were supposed to have walked in righteousness and freedom forever. No sin, no sickness, no sorrow. We lost it all because of the suggestion from the serpent to try to do it my way. God said it's not over. And he came as a human being to condemn sin in the flesh. It had zero power over him. Hallelujah. And he is the one who's taking us out into glory and freedom. He condemned sin in the flesh. That the righteous requirement of the law, notice, might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. There are many, many people who say today and some famous preachers, well-known all over the world, I would mention the names, which I won't, instantly you would know, yes, that is a person known by millions, maybe even a billion people. But this is the kind of preaching that comes out from them, some of the more popular ones, and that is an exact contradiction to what we just read in Romans 8.4. They say that Jesus Christ Jesus Christ fulfilled the righteous requirement of the law and therefore 
we don't have to worry about keeping the law. What a tremendous and terrible contradiction to the truth. In Romans 8, 4, 3 and 4, it says, because we could not keep the law to save our souls through the law, apart from Jesus Christ dying for us as a human being, condemning sin in the flesh, and on the cross, defeating the devil. Because of that, in verse 4, notice, it's written that you and I can fulfill the law. Hallelujah. How horrific for believers to say that the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5 and the rest of this Sermon on the Mount all the way up to Matthew chapter 7 to the end. That as believers, we cannot keep the law. Jesus kept the law, and therefore, knowing that we couldn't keep it, we're off the hook. And after all, he did it for us. What a confusion. He died on the cross for us to take away our sin and the power of sin, so that, according to Romans 8, 4, the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in Christ. No. It says here, in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. You and I are called to live in absolute victory over the devil, over the power of sin. For multitudes in the churches today, that is news. That is something absolutely unusual. And yet, it's here in the Scriptures. Because Jesus died on the cross as a man and God, he condemned sin in the flesh. He took away the power of sin. He walked uprightly and he died in the righteousness of God. Therefore, when we get forgiven, we don't just get freed from the penalty of sin, but we are given a living vital communion with him as a branch to the vine so that whatever is in Jesus, notice, whatever is in Jesus Christ can flow into our mortal bodies so that we don't touch one more drug ever again. Hallelujah. We don't flirt ever again. Not even a hint of sexual immorality. That's the design of God's salvation. Anything less than that victory is an insult and a denial of the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. That means that if we claim to know Christ and we claim to enjoy the merits of his salvation, all that he did on the cross, if we're walking in sin, we are denying the whole thing. Because it's written, Jesus imparts power so that you and I can keep the law we're not called to keep the ceremonial law, but all of the righteous moral law in our, in our lives. Would to God that a message from Romans 8 would be preached 
in the churches printed in literature that is called Christian accurately. Not sophisticatedly or intellectually advanced, but simply and plainly that today we can know even if I'm in the midst of a furnace of affliction, like Job, I can say, I'm innocent. Hallelujah. Because the blood of Jesus has cleansed me. Often, when we're chastened or we're going through a trial, it's a time where we can truly reflect not only on the things that matter the most for eternity, but on our true condition and state before the Almighty God. Where lovingly the Lord isolates us. That happened to me with that devastating chronic asthma. God had to isolate me because I was not going the right direction as a child. The world was just very attractive to me and everything in the world. It became a, a bit advanced in learning the ways of the world. The Lord came to me at about eight years of age. And stopped that show from Satan. And during my suffering. For the next 11 years. I began to consider. The word of the Lord. More seriously. And I'm eternally grateful to the Lord. I didn't have to go through that. If I had been a child who would. Receive the word of God. And begin to seek God. God saw I needed it. How many of you can testify? Certain things we went through that came from the hand of God in His sovereignty to discipline us came to save our souls from destruction. The sin that led to the discipline is never to be condoned Or accepted. This is the problem many times. When people think. If I had to go back. I wouldn't trade anything. Because I am where I am today. Because of where I came from. Well it's a nice thing to say. When you talk about culture. Your origin. When it talks about. Walking in ungodliness. It's a fallacy. We need to differentiate between the value of God's chastening because of his love to get us out of our mess and the futility and the needlessness of ever having sinned and gotten into the mess in the first place. Did Enoch, Enoch need to fall in order to fellowship with God? Do you think King David would have looked back on those few times? Notice. The man was righteous, a man after God's own heart. But there were times, a few times, only a few times mentioned in Scripture. Otherwise, he would not be qualified to write the Psalms at all. God would have picked someone else. Only a few times he missed the mark. Do you think David, the great king, would have looked back on his life and said, I wouldn't change this for the world because 
you know what? When I sinned and I got that blow, it really made me wake up. No. He's the one who wrote, inspired by the Holy Spirit. It's good for me that I've been afflicted, but because before I was afflicted, I went astray. The same David says, by the Spirit of God, if you would have a clean heart, pure heart and clean hands, you can live with God and dwell with Him. You don't have to fall. Hallelujah. Now we've been brought into the new covenant. God has given us all these scriptures and all of these precedents of people like Daniel and Joseph. People like Joshua in the old covenant. Elizabeth and Zechariah. Paul the apostle. Stephen. All of these people and many, many more walked with God uprightly. We are given that privilege to be able to discern the false teachings that are out there that are drowning men and women and children in sin. The Bible warns about that in the book of Jude and virtually every book of the Bible, particularly in the New Testament. Warning about deception and teaching that grace is a license to be ungodly or immoral. Someone says, well, I didn't hear any preacher lately say that. You know what? God's grace is so good that you can just go out and sin all day long. When you come back home, his grace will cover you. There are some who actually preach that blatantly. But the majority are undercover. Quote, unquote. They say God loves you. God is holy. You're made holy. You're a new lump now. You're a brand new creature, creation of Christ Jesus. You can enjoy all the freedom you want. Don't let the devil condemn you. If you pick up a cigarette one day. You can still be a deacon, an elder, and a pastor. Don't let the devil condemn you if you flirted with the church secretary. It's okay. As long as you didn't touch her. Besides, nobody's perfect. You're counseling people who are in pornography and uh, drugs. You're not doing anything like that. The very lifestyle... And the admixture of error with some truth is sending a clear, loud message saying, you have a license to do as you please because the grace of God is covering you. How damaging. And here we see the freedom that comes, no condemnation whatsoever, when we understand God has given me power over sin. Imagine if Many Christians would hear that today. God actually has given me not just the freedom from the penalty of sin and the condemnation for my past misdeeds and evil, but today I can live in holiness 
separate from this perishing world to please God. And I love it. I'm breathing heaven's air. And I feel the witness of the Holy Spirit within me that I'm right before the Lord. Hallelujah. Yes, it's through the blood of Jesus. But it's also according to my walk under the blood. Notice again verse 4, that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Clearly, every one of us are not only entitled, but expected. With entitlement, we may view that as preferential or optional. You're entitled to this, but you can pick and choose whether you want that or not. When God gives us the privilege, He expects us to pursue it to perfection. Because He expects us to overcome sin, because that's His nature. Hallelujah. That the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Someone says today, I have pressing needs and I don't know if I really need to hear Romans chapter 8 about the law and the flesh and the spirit. Physical healing, a change in your physical circumstances, financial prosperity, everything has its roots in the spiritual domain. So anytime we hear the word of God, as the Bible says, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and it is profitable. Notice which part? All scripture. Do you see a qualification there? At what time? In the morning of your life, you can read Romans. In midlife, you can go to Galatians. In the sunset or evening of your life, you should really focus on some of the Psalms and maybe Revelation. No. All Scripture. That means if the Holy Spirit is speaking and your spirit is in tune with the Holy Spirit, whatever the Spirit wants to give you from His own Scriptures can profit you and change the helm, the direction of your vessel to go toward glory more and more. At once, our inner man with the spiritual ears are open wide to say, Lord, speak to me. Lord, you steer my vessel. Anything you want to speak to me, speak to me. Lord, if this is about victory, if this is about life, if this is about true freedom, if this is the accurate word of God from the Spirit of God, I want every bit of it, even if I'm in pain. I need the word of God because the word of God gives life. Hallelujah. Even to the mortal body. Verse 5. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. For those who live according to the spirit the things of the spirit. I want to know more and more how to soar in the spirit. I hope you do too. In route to learning that which is given freely by Jesus Christ to enjoy 
to be empowered by the Spirit and to do great exploits in God's name. We must be warned of the sinister flesh that can come in and contaminate everything God is doing in your life and in my life so that we can avoid that. Notice it says, for those who live according to the flesh, Romans 8 verse 5, set their minds, they focus on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. On any given day, we can pretty much know whether we're in the Spirit or in the flesh almost as soon as we wake up. For the man or woman or child that's walking in the Spirit. There would have been a communication from God during the sleeping hours, deep into the soul. And an awareness when I come to, when I wake up, even with the physical limitations of disorientation that can happen sometimes, because we are human. It won't be too long before we call upon the name of the Lord Jesus. Right when we wake up. Not as an obligation, but as a delight. Knowing full well that God is going to bless my day. Hallelujah. There are obstacles. The enemy may have snares, but I'm calling upon the name of the Lord. He's going to set all the crooked places straight. Hallelujah. The mind is set and focused on the things of God. It's a deliberate, willful, a volitional act that I say, I know I have financial things to take care of. I know the children need attention. I know I have obligations at work or at home. I know a lot of medicines to be taken perhaps or dispensed to a loved one. But all of this, oh Jesus, Mary is who I want to be like, not Martha. Speak to me, Lord. I need you. I need to feel your presence. The direction and tone for the day is set. These are the things of the Spirit. But if I think about food and fun, if I think about all of those things that are pressing in for my attention without putting the Lord first, then I will inevitably program myself to walk in the flesh from whence bitterness, unforgiveness, fault-finding, negativity, complaining, murmuring, feuding, all these things will come up. But to talk to the Lord and to say, I want to be in the Spirit, Lord, and walk with you. To breathe in heaven's air when we wake up and say, Lord, I know nothing matters today more than my fellowship with you. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Whatever the circumstance Whatever the situation, it's true. Whether we are able to experience that or not, it's true. Anytime we're spiritually minded, we experience 
real life from God and the genuine peace that this world cannot give and cannot take away. This is the freedom where there's no condemnation. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, Romans 8, 7. For it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Now, why did God save us? Isn't it so that we can live for his praise, to his praise and glory? Surely to please him, to be in a manner where the sacrifice of the fruit of our lips coming from our hearts and our bodies and everything connected to us is acceptable and worthy, where he will say, I'm well pleased. That's the intent. How can you have believers who are struggling to figure out, oh God, when will these demons leave me so that I can finally be free when I get to heaven? This is tragically the so-called eulogy that comes upon many people who succumb to the snare of sin and you have multitudes of believers rallying around them to say, well, they're free finally. Their personal demons that they battle with, the battle is over. Hallelujah, they're free. It's a gross perversion of the truth in the Christian life. The tragedy is those people will not be in heaven. We are called to experience freedom here that will translate to heaven. There's no sudden jump, being a slave to sin, and then suddenly being blameless and purified before we enter glory. We have to live it in order to have it for eternity. The carnal mind, the fleshly mind, is enmity against God. It's not subject to the law of God. It says, I don't want to be under the direction of God. If God says, don't do drugs because it'll kill you, it's a violation, it's a defilement of the temple of your body. I've come to you, I've saved you. You've got to stop it right now. There are people who say, I'll get around to it. Enmity against the law of God. The law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus teaches me to say no to everything that God hates because it's destructive. It is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So then, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Let no one say when they're in sin. I love God. That's a blatant lie, God says. Again and again. We encourage people to read very carefully, not only Romans 8, John 14 and 15. The one that does my commandments, the one who abides in my love. The epistles of John, the one who says, I love God and hates his brother is a liar, it's a murderer. The one who defiles his body, the temple. Of the Holy Spirit.
is joining Christ to the devil. See that in Corinthians 6. All of this is enmity with God. Would to God that people would preach, teach, and share, whether from the pulpit or in your own homes, to anyone who's in sin, beginning with you. I cannot claim to have the light if I'm in darkness. Lord, change me. Make me to realize the great freedom I'm forfeiting. I have power over sin. Hallelujah. Through the Holy Spirit. So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. How many people stop right there and they have a party across the faith-based rehab centers and churches and conferences for men and women? They say, you're not in the flesh, you're in the Spirit. Hallelujah. But they leave the rest of it out. If indeed... The Spirit of God dwells in you. They say, of course I have the Holy Spirit. I'm born again. We have to read the rest of the scriptures. Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he's not his. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. We'll see at the end of chapter 7. That he came to do away with the body of sin. And the physical body, because of the frailty, the potential is there to draw a person into sin. But the person never has to give in to it. Because the spirit of life is living in them. If they're really born again and walking with God. But the spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. We know that death will be swallowed up in victory, that this corruptibility must put on incorruption, this corruptible body. That is a body that is frail and not perfect. And yet, God says a man or woman or child can walk perfectly, meaning mature, not giving in to presumptuous sin. God actually expects that. And he says the spirit that raised Christ from the dead will supply all you need in your mortal body, not only at the resurrection, to transform, but while we're on the earth, to infuse supernatural strength to give healing. When everything looks opposite, the head is pounding and pulsating with migraines. The hands are plagued with tremors. There's pain inside. Looking to Jesus, saying, by his stripes I'm healed. The Holy Spirit can infuse the power of God into the mortal body, even though it's frail. Taste a bit of that resurrection light instantly. How many of you experienced that? But there's a practical 
teaching here for the inner man to be uncontaminated with this world in the flesh. He says, therefore, knowing the power that's in you, what God expects, the freedom that he's given you, there's no condemnation, brothers. Don't let the devil accuse you. You are walking according to the spirit. Don't worry. But remember, you are not obligated. You're no longer a slave. Not just to fear, as the song says. No longer a slave to sin. Hallelujah. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors. Not to the flesh. To live according to the flesh. What is the flesh? Galatians 5.19. Whole list of evil qualities are there. We can actually scan that list and see whether our name shows up there. And if it doesn't, glory be to God. If it does, praise God for his mercy. We can repent and say, Lord, I've been deceiving myself. I've been hearing the word and not doing the word. As it's written in James 1.22. I've been deceiving myself. I've been calling upon God's name, but serving the flesh. No more. Hallelujah. Notice the warning. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. What kind of death? People have mistaken this to mean physical death. But it's more than that. Because everyone dies physically unless they are alive. When Jesus comes back in the midair. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. Spiritual death. You'll be lost forever. How dangerous it is to tamper with the flesh and sin. He says you'll be Lost forever. Die. Spiritually. But if by the Spirit, he's writing to Christians, you put to death the deeds of the body, the very things that God hates, you will live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. This should really make us sit up and listen closely to what the Holy Spirit is speaking. If I'm not led by the Spirit of God, by default, there's only one other leader, and that's the devil. A.K.A. the mastermind who uses the machinations of the flesh to destroy human beings. Especially on the top of his list, those who claim to be Christians. Especially real Christians. Don't be persuaded, as is written in the book of Ephesians, by the prince of the power of the air. Be jealous. Look at that one. Covet that. Abuse this. Abuse yourself. Be a glutton. Be vain. Be proud. These are the things that will take people to hell. It's written clearly that the wrath of God hangs on such people. And God warns his people in Romans, Galatians, Ephesians, Corinthians. You've been brought out of that bondage. Have nothing to do with it. That means what you read, what you see how you converse, what you hear. You must walk like Jesus walked on the face of the earth. That's why he came. Not just to take away the penalty of sin, but the power of sin. Glory be to God. Suffice it to say, as we'll stop right here, the freedom that we have today and experience is by the merits of Jesus' death on the cross. We cannot earn it. We cannot work it up. That's a gift. But to 
keep it and enjoy it is also the power of God. But he also says to us, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. He also says to us that freedom to experience that and to live in it is also contingent, dependent upon your choices moment by moment. You don't have to walk on eggshells. You can walk on firm footing knowing that I've decided to follow Jesus and no one else. Every word he says is my rule of life. By his grace, I shall keep his righteous requirements of what? The law, as we read in Romans 8 and verse 4. Everything that is moral purity is mine, is yours, to walk in that path, to be free. And God will look upon you and look upon me and say, there's a trustworthy child of mine. There's a genuine disciple. And he will take us to the side and begin to speak to us and anoint us, empower us to turn the generation back to God before it's too late. Beginning with people in the church. Judgment must begin at the house of God, God says. He cares about his own. First, we want the heartbeat of God. Father in heaven, we thank you for this portion of this service where the word of God has been made plain by the Spirit of God. We can enjoy the freedom, Lord, to live holy. Because you said in Hebrews 12, 14, without holiness, no man shall see the Lord. And Lord, it is a beautiful, wonderful thing. You said, worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Holiness becometh thine house, O Lord. Father in heaven, thank you for raising up a godly generation in a world full of corrupt doctrine. Enterprising, self-serving, carnal churches. Thank you, Lord, for raising up a generation before you return. People who will walk with you and abide in your love and enjoy your sweet fellowship, O oh Lord, the Holy One of Israel. I thank and praise you. Minister your healing, Lord, even through the word to the very souls and minds and bodies of your people. Father, Confirm your own word with signs and wonders during this hour. In Jesus' name, I thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. Amen.